We're going to be uh, in a passage in Ephesians. We've been going through this series. But we're in this, uh, in this series called We Go Together and looking through the, the book of Ephesians, uh, this awesome letter that Paul wrote. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. If you guys want to open up in your Bibles, I will have some slides with the uh, scriptures on the screen. Um, but if you guys would, would you pray with me before we dive in? Lord God, this is your church. This is your pulpit. And it's your voice that we want to hear. So I pray, Father, that you would use me this morning and that everything we do here would be for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin Garza. Pretty much at this point now, uh, most of the times when I speak here or preach here, I kind of assume that everyone here knows who I am, knows my name, probably knows a little bit about me. Um, at this point now, for my wife Trish and my two daughters Jasmine and Kaylee, uh, this church is our family. This is as much of our family as, as any blood relatives we have. And so uh, that's, that's what this church has come to mean to me. In, in many ways, I would say I've grown up here, um, but, but kind of in a different way. I was asking Kylan this week uh, when, when she first started coming to church, she's like, when I was a baby. And so we've seen Kylan grow from baby to toddler into children's ministries and into youth ministries. Now she's a senior in high school getting ready to graduate this year. That's awesome. I didn't grow up quite in that way in this church. By the time I came here, I already had gray hairs. Um, I have more now, so I don't know. Blame it on you guys or the teens. But, uh, but I, I came to this church about six years ago, and um, in terms of my walk with Christ... This church has seen me from birth to infancy to adolescence and now into adulthood. And while some of you would say that I'm a, a bit of an immature uh, adult, uh, I'll give you that. Uh, but that's, that's why I get to do youth ministry. Um, but this is, this is a, I was looking through some pictures, and this is sort of what that looked like when I first came to this church. Josh, if you want to cue that sound, 13. Justin, based confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. All right, man. That was awesome. You did it. It's always good to remember. That's... Oh, went too far. Where did it go? That's, that's what grace looks like. That picture was taken by Darren. Um, so I've been here for, uh, for my whole Christian walk, and this, this church has been a big part of my discipleship. Um, I didn't grow up knowing Jesus, as I've shared before. I, I actively chose not to know Jesus. Um, as a teenager, I, I felt like I was a decent enough guy to the people around me. Um, but like all of us, you know, I, I wrestled with identity and belonging and purpose and um, unfortunately, because that wrestling wasn't rooted in Christ, it, I definitely uh, kind of followed a pretty typical pattern of the world, uh, living for the passions of the flesh and carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Um, I was never really good at the concept of moderation, so I tended to go pretty far off the rails. And that's uh, the, the Christian language that we would use to describe this would be, I was lost. Uh, the passage we're going to look at today, it uses the, the language, I was dead in my sin. 
Um, and I've shared this in the church before, and, and just like the songs we sing, that amazing grace, um, praise be to God that he didn't leave me there to rot. He, he, he had other plans for me. And so this is, this is my story, and this is part of why a passage like the one we're going to look at today is so meaningful for me. Uh, the first time I ever read Ephesians 2, I think I, I broke down crying, and I said, I think he wrote this to me, because that's, that's what it has come to mean to me. So we're going to look at Ephesians 2 here in this letter from Paul. And I do have slides of these. Paul writes here, starting in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This beautiful passage, um, and I'm going to kind of address this today from the concept uh, or from the context of three questions that I was I was looking at this week as I wrestled with this. And so the three questions I'm going to kind of this is going to be how I outline this message. Our first question is: From what are we saved? The second question is: How are we saved? And the third question is: For what purpose are we saved? And this is going to kind of be how I look at this. So starting off with the first question, from what are we saved? Uh, I'm going to throw my wife, Trish, under the bus a little bit here. But uh, <laughs> Sorry, Trish. Uh, a little while back, um, Trish got really into this show, The Walking Dead. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. But uh, and if you've never seen this show, this is it's basically all about like a zombie apocalypse. And something happens, and somehow this outbreak happens. The world becomes infested with zombies. All normal human civilization breaks down, and basically it's just chaos as they're not only dealing with zombies, but now they're trying to figure out how to survive with like dwindling resources and all these things. And there's all these like underlying plot themes, and people are forming alliances with those who are left, and um, it gets crazy, cr pretty crazy pretty quick. Uh, it is a very graphic show, it's a very violent show. Um, even Trish reached a point where there was like, I can't keep going with this because it's getting pretty intense. Um, and I'm sure uh, she has since repented of watching such <laughs> unchristian television. Um, and, but strangely enough, as we look in this passage, this is sort of what Paul is, is describing. This is sort of the setting he's giving for us here in Ephesians, verses 1 through 3. You know, he's, he's hitting on this. He says, We were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. So he's calling us the walking dead. That we, this, is, this was our condition. 
And the show may have taken it to another level, but at its core, it's really biblical in describing the world around us, this condition that we were in before Christ. We were dead. We were following the pattern of the rest of the world, those who are without Christ. We were seeking after the passions of the flesh and the desires of the body and the mind, walking around like zombies. And as Christians, we very much believe in and we talk about um, the, the spiritual warfare, warfare that takes place around us, the, the things that are going on in the invisible world, and we believe that we have a spiritual enemy. Paul, in this passage, he calls him the prince of power of the air that is at work in the children of disobedience, those who do not know God. And for us, that's not hard to grasp. I mean, we can look around us and, and we can see definitely the impact and the influence of this spirit that's at work in the world, um, we, we probably all could think of some examples right now of children of disobedience. Um, and for some of us, it, it, it kind of leaves a taste of disgust in our mouth, much like I had trying to watch this Walking Dead show. Um, we can get very turned off to the things that we see. We can get discouraged by the things that we see going on in our post-Christian world today. So one thing I'll confess to you that, um, that I struggle with, um, I, I struggle with guilt. Now, I believe very much in the power of God's forgiveness. I know that he says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how you've been forgiven. I, I believe in God's grace. But I really struggle with guilt. Um, as I've mentioned before and in some of my story, that my pre-Christ existence, I did a lot of damage. I, I hurt people um, in my life. And so for me, it's very easy to relate to what Paul is saying here, this illustration of the walking dead. It's very easy for me to remember my trespasses and my sins and the many ways that I followed the course of, of this world and as a son of disobedience. But for some of you here, your story is different than that. Um, some of you uh, didn't maybe go off the rails in such an obviously sinful way. Maybe for some, you tended to lean more towards the side of obedience. Uh, maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Uh, maybe you had Jesus in your life from a very young age, and that, that shaped a lot of your path. And, and that's a huge blessing. That's, that's a powerful story that, that God has worked in you and that he's given you to be able to share that, uh, a powerful way that God has chosen to use you. Just like my story is a powerful way that God has chosen to use me. And so we praise God for that. But because of that, it may be harder for some of you to relate to this illustration of being dead in sin. And I think we all can recognize this. We, we, we use this language that we know we all had a sin condition and that we, that had to be dealt with. But the Bible says it pretty clearly that, that we were dead in our sin. Maybe, maybe for some of you feel like, well, I wasn't really dead, but I just wasn't fully alive until I was born again into Christ. But this letter is written by Paul, who called himself a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. And by, by his own words, he said he was blameless in his righteousness to the law. But he doesn't excuse himself in this passage. He doesn't say, you all once lived this way. In fact, in verse 3, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So he, he doesn't excuse himself from this. He, he recognizes his true condition prior to Christ, that by our very nature, we were children of wrath. 
And so these first three verses answer this question, from what are we saved? What are we saved from? We are saved from death. We are saved from that very nature that made us children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. And I think this this has to be crucial for us as we approach the rest of this passage, as we approach the rest of these questions, then how are we saved and for what purpose are we saved? We have to have a grasp on from what were we saved? What was our condition prior to Christ? If we don't have that, then we're probably going to really struggle to really grasp how we're saved and for what purpose we are saved. So we move into this next question, how are we saved? Some of you guys are familiar with the story in John chapter 11, um, the story of Lazarus. Uh, Jesus gets word that his good friend Lazarus had died. Um, By the time Jesus gets there, he comes to the tomb, and and it says that he had already been dead. Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Uh, But Jesus says, you know, roll away the stone. He prays to the Father, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And the miraculous happens. Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and he's, he's walking again. He's living again, and not like a zombie. He's, he's an actual human being walking. We've probably all heard stories of people who were in the hospital, and they flatlined. You know, by, by all standards, they were dead. And by the work of doctors, um, they were able to resuscitate them and, and bring them back to life. And these are, these are miraculous stories, and I think... As Christians, we know who actually gets the credit for that. But my point is that dead people cannot bring themselves back to life. And I think this is something Paul is hitting at here. You know, imagine if Lazarus went on the rest of his life and he's like, hey, remember that time I was dead in the tomb and I just willed myself back to life and I rolled away the tomb myself? I mean, that, that just that wouldn't make sense. Or the person who was dead on the operating table, he's like, hey, somehow, yeah, I was dead, but I managed to grab the paddles and like clear and you know shocked myself back to life it's it's just not gonna not gonna happen and so so you guys can see where i'm going with this but paul is telling us that by our very nature we were dead like the rest of mankind then there was nothing we could do to revive ourselves there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves so then how is it that we are saved well paul can't make it much clearer In verse 5, he says, by grace, you have been saved. And then just in case we missed it, in verse 8, he says it again, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And even the way faith is used here, faith is also a gift. This is a gift of God. You know, the song we were singing just this morning, Amazing Grace, there's a line in there that just caught me. It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." It's not that my heart learned to fear first and then I received grace. It was grace that taught me that. Tim Keller, he writes, um, it's not the quality of our faith, but it's the object of our faith. So this is also a gift of God that we have been saved by grace through faith. Um, In Buddhism, there's this this goal, there's this belief that um, one of the goals is to eliminate desire and um, to attain nirvana or enlightenment. This is kind of one of the ultimate goals in in the Buddhist teaching. And one of the key teachings in uh, in Buddhism is what's called the Noble Eightfold Path. It's uh, often depicted as like a ship's wheel, and there's eight spokes to this wheel. And there's these these eight teachings, essentially, that come from this. And a few of these are um, right understanding, right speech, right conduct, and right effort. 
And so there's this view that like, if we can just get these things right, if I could understand correctly, if I could get all of that right, my right view of the world, and if I could uh, get the right effort, like put out all the right effort into things or, or have all the right conduct or the right speech, that this is going to be the thing that leads to that ultimate karma and then I'll become enlightened. And we can read this and, and to be honest, these are not bad teachings. These are actually noble teachings. I mean, these are things we teach in Bible classes, like about how to tame the tongue and to, to you know, understand the Bible, have proper interpretation. We, we do the same thing. Sometimes we get a little bit afraid as Christians of like Eastern traditions and philosophies. We kind of like, I don't know what's going on there. And so we, we keep it at a distance. But in some ways as Christians, we do the same thing, that if we want to achieve our ultimate karma, salvation, then we need to make sure we get all of these things right. But I would come back to that baptism and that picture of me coming out of the water. Was I saved because all of a sudden I started to get it right? Because I started to read the Bible and make some different decisions? No, that's not why I was saved. Was I saved because I started coming to church? No. We weren't saved because we grew up in a Christian home or were taught about Jesus from an early age. That's not why we were saved. We weren't saved because you didn't cuss or smoke or drink. That's not why we were saved. We're not saved because we figured out all the proper hermeneutic and interpretation of the Bible. That's not why we were saved. In fact, Paul says it clearly here. He said it in the passage we read in Romans that even when we were dead in our trespasses or even while we were still sinners, God made us alive together with Christ. So it's by grace that we've been saved. He says it's not by our own doing. It's not a result of works. It is a gift of God. Now, we want to receive grace. We want to live into those new life. That's why I would say that these teachings are are noble. And the things that we're striving for are, are noble teachings. But that's not why we were saved. It was a gift from God. And so we can't boast about it any more than a dead person could boast about bringing themselves back to life. All we can do is give thanks to God. It says that because he was rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, that's that's the why question. Why did he do it? Because he's rich in mercy. Because he loves us that greatly. God has given us hope. If we just hung out in verses 1 through 3, it sounds pretty hopeless and helpless. Like, this is is just death. But the rest of this passage tells us what we've been given in Christ, that we've been given hope, we've been given help, and this leads us to our last question then. Well, for what? For for what are we saved? What's what's the, the purpose of all of this? Every week in my, uh, outside of my door, my mailbox on the door, I, I find a letter. looks like this. You guys probably could tell who this is from, right? It's from Jan. Jan leaves these for me just about every week. I can count on finding one of these letters in there. And she'll uh, attach her prayer that she's written for the week and oftentimes uh, like a devotional thought or something meaningful to her that week. Uh, song recommendations and things like that. These are very encouraging for me, um, and, and I always really appreciate the letters that you leave for me, Jan. 
Um, and this last week, or this past week, she had left me um, in, the, in the envelope, she included let, uh, lyrics to a song called Nobody by Casting Crowns. I don't know if any of you guys have heard this. Uh, I hadn't. I hadn't heard this song. And so when she gave that to me, I, I took a listen, and I, I put it on, and I followed the lyrics as I was listening to it. And I want to share a couple of those with you. So it starts, it says, Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not-quites, with all the other never-get-it-rights, but it turns out that they're the ones you were looking for the whole time. And then the refrain says, Because I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. It says, Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. It's really cool lyrics. I like that. I, I think sometimes like, uh, we have a hard time hearing us describe ourselves as a nobody, especially you know, in terms of we, we value good self-esteem and self-worth and things like that. And So, so I get that, and, and I'm grateful that as we could see in this passage and, and so many other places, God certainly doesn't call us a nobody in his kingdom. In fact, he calls us his masterpiece. My translation says in verse 10 that we are his workmanship. I know other translations say we are his masterpiece. He calls us his masterpiece. He calls us beloved over and over throughout Scripture. He calls us by name. It says that he knows every hair on our head. But what I like about this song and these lyrics is that it's sort of a reflection of what Paul is talking about in this passage, that we have nothing to boast about that it's all about God. And as we see over and over in Scripture, and especially in the ministry of Jesus, that it was the not-quites and the never-get-it-rights who seemed to be the ones that God continued to go after time and time again. So Joel had challenged us to some small things this, this week, and I really appreciate that, the holding the door, the smile, the greeting, all of those things are, are huge. They're not just small. But I am going to challenge us to some big things this week also, um, because it says that we were created for good works. Now, we weren't saved by good works, but we were created for good works. So what does that mean? As God's masterpiece, his workmanship, created anew in Christ Jesus, made alive with him, Paul says, raised up with him, seated with him, then we get to come alongside this good work, that is his good work that he's working through us, and we get to join in then going after those who are in the same condition we were before we knew Christ, the walking dead. And I, we heard this in Joel's offering thought this morning, and I've been hearing this a lot in this church, and it, it's, it's awesome. This is, is something awesome that we've been hearing, but I've been hearing a lot of conversations of people in this church saying, we need to get out into the community more. We need to, there, there's so many people out there who don't know Jesus, and, uh, and we need to go reach them. And in every one of these conversations, there's been a, a very genuine, this trend of a, a genuine heartfelt expression of, we need to go after. There are people who are lost, and we want to go share the gospel with them. And, and it, it just moves me to hear that being expressed. But another common trend in these discussions that I keep hearing is, but we don't know how to do that. We don't really know 
the answer to how to go out there and do that. And so for this last part of this message, as we look at the for what are we saved, um, I want to just kind of hang out considering a few things about the work that we call evangelism, sharing the gospel. And so the first thing to recognize that's been important in everything we've talked about and crucial to everything in this passage is to recognize that it's only by God's grace that someone could be saved and raised to the new life in Christ. It's, it, it, that's taught all throughout Scripture. Paul even writes in Corinthians that it's only by the Holy Spirit that anyone could even say Jesus is Lord. So we have to start here. This has to be our starting place, recognizing that it is God. It is God's doing. It's His work that is going to make it possible for someone to be saved by that grace. However, we absolutely cannot hear that and then become apathetic about sharing the gospel. Because the one that we follow, Jesus, it says he came to seek and save the lost. And so he came and gave us that same mission and that same purpose. So not only would we be denying Jesus if we don't go after and seek and save the lost, but we would be denying what Paul's writing here in verse 10, that we are to walk in these good works, that we should walk in them. And, and we'd be denying the very first chapter of the Bible where God says, be fruitful and multiply. He, he sent us out. This is the good work that he has prepared for us to do, not to earn our salvation, but now as recipients of salvation. And it's his work, and we get to be his tools, his precious tools to help accomplish the task that he has commissioned us to do. And I have... I have an observation about why I think we struggle with this a little bit, and, and not everyone's going to maybe agree with my opinion here, but this is just my observation um, as someone who lived outside of the church for a lot of my life, and now I co-labor with you in the same mission field. This is, this is, we do this together. Um, you know, as, as Christians, we have, um, we have different values than the rest of the world. I mean, this is... This is true. We are set apart. The Bible would, would back that up. We are set apart. So we see things from a different perspective. Um, I, I heard it described as the country of resurrection. Eugene Peterson was, was writing that. And he wasn't talking about any specific nation. He's saying that we're in this country of resurrection. And so we look out, and this is the perspective that we see from, from that lens of resurrection. And so anyone who seems to live outside of that in, in a contrary way to some of these values, we have a hard time with. There's behaviors and lifestyles that we don't understand, and even more that we probably don't approve of. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all guilty of judgment. Um, as Christians, we do it with each other. I mean, it happens all the time. As Christians, we do it with the outside world or with those who think something and believe something different than we do. And as much as people on the outside love to throw the church under the bus and they love to attack us as Christians and call us judgmental, the truth is, is that they're just as guilty of this as, as we are. We all do it. This is something that uh, is, is part of our condition. I heard a preacher, uh, Randy Harris, this year at Pepperdine, and he was saying that we have this tendency as Christians, we could, we could include 
all of us, but the rest of the world as well. But he says we have this tendency as Christians to lump people into two categories. There's the good people and the bad people. And so he said that if we're really honest, the list of truly good people would probably not have anyone on it. I mean, we know Jesus would be on that list, but the truth is is that probably it's hard to think of who else would be on that list. Truly good people, who else would be on that list? But the bad list, the people on the bad list, would probably be very full and probably include many of us who call ourselves Christian. And so his point of this was that we need to learn to see people not as good or bad, but instead as those who know Jesus and those who don't yet. And I love that he added the word yet. Because we believe one, one day every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and so we get to be a part of that work. But seeking and saving the lost is messy. And it means that we are going to have to lay down some of our natural tendencies to judge behaviors or beliefs that we think are bad so that we can actually push ourselves to draw close to people who don't yet know Jesus. We're going to need to truly follow the example of Christ and pull up a seat at the table and invite the drug addict and invite the prostitute, invite the person with really bad language, invite the person who's gay, invite the person who who believes something completely different than us. And we cannot begin that conversation by telling them all the ways we think they are wrong. We have to start by actually listening to people, because how can we tell someone they are on the wrong path if we don't actually take the time to listen to the path that they're on? We've lost all credibility already before that's even begun. And this is why I think it's so important for us that we have to remember our pre-Christ condition to what Paul is saying in verses 1 through 3 here. This is where we were. This is where we lived, that we were dead. By our very nature, we were children of wrath with a spirit of disobedience, just like the rest of mankind. And if we forget this, we'll never be able to have empathy for those we see in that same condition. Because there's people out there who are hungry and thirsty, and not just physically. There's people who may not even know it that they're hungry for God. There's people that don't even know they're thirsting for the living water. There's people who are out there naked and sick and imprisoned in the ways of the world. And truly I say to you, as we do to one of the least of these, we do it to Jesus. This is what he sent us out to do. But it's not an easy task. And to be honest, it's scary. Um, This week, I've been reading this and I've been wrestling with this. And and this week I was in my office one day and I was just, I was the only one here at the building. And I heard this like shouting going on outside over here. And there was, I'm like, what's going on? So I peek out my window and there's a, uh, he looked to be a homeless guy. Pretty, pretty rough and ragged. Uh, a different guy than I've seen before. Bigger dude. Um, and he was having a major, he's at the blessing box, and he's having a major argument with himself. Uh, he, he, it's kind of schizophrenic, and he was shouting, and he was cussing, and it was, he was having this, like, I, I don't know. He, he clearly looked like he was on some drugs, and he, he was pretty out of it. And I'm sitting there like, I want to go talk to this guy. This is a guy that I should like go out and pray with. Like he needs to know Jesus. How is he ever going to know Jesus if no one goes to him because they're scared of him? 
I'm thinking about Jesus casting out the demons and, you know, legion and all of this. And I'm like, but I was scared. And I let the fear settle me down back in my office and, and I didn't do anything about it. And maybe there's wisdom to that. I, I don't know. I was alone here at the building. This guy's definitely bigger than I am. He was definitely not in a right state of mind. Uh, I don't know what that conversation would have looked like anyway. Um, so, so maybe there was wisdom in that. Um, but I have such a heart that I, I want to go, and these are the people that Jesus went after, and I want to go after them. I, I wasn't quite in that condition, but I've been in conditions where someone had to come after me, and, and I, I want to do the same. And I think part of that experience highlighted something that Jacob's been talking about a lot through this series, and it's this, that we go together, because it is scary to do by ourselves. And, and so if I think back to Jesus, Jesus didn't send out his disciples on their own. He sent them out as partners. He, he made them pairs. He told them, go together. And so we go together. I would love it in those type of situations to go, this is what we've been training for. Come on down, meet me at the building, and let's go. Because not only has God prepared that good work for us to do, but he's also prepared us for that good work. And, and I would love for that to be our mindset, that it's like, that's the person. That's who we're going after today. And we're, gonna, we're just going to go come around them and love them. We're going to pray for them. I don't, I don't know always what that looks like, but, but sometimes I think we spend too much time asking the question, what does it look like? How should we do it? How? Just go. We go together. And like I said, it's scary. But God says we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. And he says, we, all throughout this whole letter, we've been talking about this. We have been made alive together. We have been raised up with him. He seated us with him. And in the coming ages, he will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. I saw this post from Bob Goff, who I think is awesome. Uh, anyone who's read Love Does or Everybody Always, it's, he's just awesome. But he says, what keeps us from loving our neighbors is fear of what will happen if we do. And he says, frankly, what scares me more is thinking of what will happen if we don't. And so that's, that's kind of, I guess, the heart of the message today is these three questions. From what are we saved? How is it that we're saved? And for what purpose are we saved? If I summed it up, it's we're saved from the walking dead, the zombie apocalypse, only by his grace, nothing that we've done, so that we can go and show more people you know, where to find the free bread, where to find the living water. I'd like to invite the praise team back on up here. Um, hopefully this was faithful to the text and faithful to what God wanted to share with us today. Um, if you're here today and you have not experienced this grace that we're talking about, this saving grace, this amazing grace, maybe, maybe you don't even know where to start. I'd love to talk with you. Um, I'll be in the back during this next song, and I'll, I'll be here you know, for a little while after church. So please come talk to me. Uh, thank you. Grace and peace.